If you can open in your Bibles to Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. Our world is spiritual, but that spirituality does not press people to follow Jesus or love him or even really consider God at all. Our world is marked by a spirituality that is absent Jesus Christ. Sometimes that spirituality is evidenced by meditation, diet. Maybe that spirituality is evidenced by being one with nature or um, practicing some kind of Eastern religion or dabbling in witchcraft. Everybody in our society expresses their spirituality differently. G.K. Chesterton says this, when men, by men he means mankind, when mankind chooses not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They become capable of believing in anything. And that's what we see. And as Christians, this is what I want us to recognize. We want to put before us, before our eyes, a Christian worldview. Because we can be susceptible to the air that the world breathes, where spirituality becomes something that can be defined and redefined based on a whim, based on a desire, based on a preference. And so we don't want to be those kind of folks that don't think clearly about our worldview. Because in times of trial, in times of hardship, in times where there's a lot of noise, if we don't understand very clearly our worldview, even though we are followers of Jesus, we can be capable of believing anything and miss what God is doing. Remember, we've looked at our worldview. We've looked at our world through God's eyes, which means we've looked at it from the Scriptures. We've seen at the beginning, three weeks ago, that the world and everything in it belongs to God because He created all things. He has authority over all things, and that includes every person who's ever existed. Secondly, we saw that the world and everything in it is completely broken. It's broken beyond any human repair. No human institution, organization, individual, or government can fix what ails our world. Our world is broken because the power of sin has invaded. We've seen that the world and everything in it was not left to rot, but that Jesus came and grace invaded our world to, so that we might be able to have hope. We might be able to follow Jesus. Today we're going to see the ultimate perspective of a Christian worldview. We're going to see the world and everything in it made new. You see, the physical universe all around us, from the most distant star that telescopes can't pick up, to the eyes that you're looking at me through, all of those things one day will be restored. All of them will have the effects of sin destroyed and pulled back. If there's one idea, one word to take away from today's sermon, it's this. New. New. Here's the idea. God will make all things new. I'm going to read beginning in Revelation 21. verses. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read to verse 5. If you have the ESV, I'm reading from that version. If you have a different version, that's fine. You can understand it as well. 
Verse 1, Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. New. Our world, our God is making this universe one day will be made new. Now, what's new about it? There's a, going to be a new presence and a new experience. First, a new presence. And that new presence is highlighted in verse 3. God is there. It's not just that God is there. God is there with his people. Look at verse 3. This is the high point in all of Scripture. This is the verse that the whole Bible has been working up to. Right here. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's what's new. When that voice, the voice of God, echoes throughout the universe and everything hears that God declares the dwelling place of God is with man, that is new. God will forcibly and finally and forever be with his people once and for all. That's what's new. The new heavens and the new earth will be new because God is in the midst of his people. Now remember, this is the entire goal of the Bible. Back in Genesis chapter 1, God created all things and they were good. God created mankind, both man and woman, in his image. And they were good, but yet sin entered the world and the power of sin destroyed everything. And no longer could God be in their midst. No longer could they commune with God. No longer could they walk in the cool of the evening with God. No longer could they be with God. They had to be sent away. And then God had a people named Israel, and he was in their midst, but he was in their midst in a tent. Then he was in their midst in a temple. And then he was in their midst as a man. Each time, each time, God was really with his people. But there was a limitation, right? Not everybody. In Israel, it was Israel. Jesus, it, it was those he was around at the time. One day, God will be with all of his people from all time 
and all places in one place. You might be thinking, well, we have the Spirit within us right now, don't we? Yes, absolutely. Ephesians 1 says, in Him, that's Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That means this Holy Spirit was given to us each individually. And what is the, who is the Spirit? The Spirit, verse 14, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So there is a reality that we have the Spirit within us now, but yet we don't have, as Christians, the full possession of our inheritance in the Lord. So we are saved even now, but yet the substance of our salvation is not yet seen because we still live here in this world. See, one day we will be with God and our senses will tell us that we're with God. Right now, our senses don't tell us we're with God. None of us know what his voice sounds like. You know what it's like to be at home, maybe sitting some distance from the front door, and someone comes in and says, hey, is anybody home? And immediately you know who that person is. Immediately, oh, I know exactly. Oh, oh, that's Tiff. She's home. Why? I know her voice. None of us know God's voice like that. None of us know his laugh. None of us have used these eyes to look at him. But one day we will. One day we will. We don't know what he smells like. One day all of our senses will be marshaled to take the beauty and grandeur of God in. That is the ultimate end of our worldview. God will one day make everything right and he will be with his people. Isaiah describes this reality by saying, For behold... I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. This is helpful, especially in the tumult of today. The former things that we're living through now, not that they're insignificant, not that they don't matter, Not that a lot's not riding on it, but these are the days of the former things. And one day we will be with the Lord, and these things that seem so important and pressing won't come to mind. Because we'll be with Him. Right now we live in the land of former things. One day we'll live in the land of new things. Look at verse 5. God says, Behold, I am making all things new. Now verse 5, when he says, I am making all things new, notice he doesn't say, I made all things new. There's this picture of something that's ongoing even in the language that he's using. Newness doesn't work like this in our world, in our vernacular. When we say something is new, we mean that it just started to exist. So like a brand new car. We say, this is a brand new car, meaning that it just rolled off the showroom floor 
It has that smell and has that gleam. That's a new car. And what will ha- and, and imagine if you took that new car and drove out to Bush Highway and went two or three miles off the road and just parked that car and left it. As an experiment, foolish one, ex- and ex- as an experiment, you left it there for five years. Imagine coming back five years later. What kind of shape do you think that car would be in? Not good. The desert is not kind to anything that sits out there for five years, right? The paint's going to be peeling probably. It's going to be fading. There's dust going to be all over it. Windows, kids maybe have come by and broken windows, or the tires may have been popped. There's probably scratches, maybe graffiti on the car. Why? Because in our world, things that are new don't stay new. They get old and break down and degrade. But not in this world. Not in the world that we're looking at. Imagine, I don't think there's going to be cars, but imagine going out to the desert and you find that the car actually can fly now and it can talk and it is, you know, it's in better shape than it was before. That's the kind of newness here. So what God is saying is that there's a level of newness that we are, to, we are going to experience as Christians that we don't even have a concept of. Where it's not just that we'll be different. It's that we will continually be made better and better and better and better and better. Things degrade in our world. In that world, things will not degrade. And you know what? That is what everybody in our world wants right now. Our world is dying for new. Our world is dying for something different. There's a palpable frustration among people because they want things different. They want a different organ they want a different structure here or there. They recognize oppression here or there. There's angst because there's people who have one political perspective, others have another political perspective. Underneath that angst is the reality that humanity, people, everyone, no matter who they are, want something new. They want something new and better. They want something that's constantly improving, not something that constantly degrades. The reason they want that is because God has put that in their hearts. We were made for Eden to be with God. And mankind has tried to get back to Eden ever since he and she were repelled from Eden. And so people always try to get back. And it never works. You see, they want to get back to Eden on their own. In their own way. In their own time. But it doesn't work. That's the new presence. Next, we have a new experience. That new experience is God personally restoring. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The God who created all things will personally wipe away every tear tear you have ever cried. And with it, all pain and sorrow and grief 
and mourning and regret and fear and weeping and lamentation. It's not just gone because God snapped his finger. It's gone because he takes them away personally. Not only does this show us he's acquainted with your griefs, but also he cares, and also one day he'll make it right. This is the kind of healing and restoration that our world wants. And this is the kind of healing and restoration only a Christian worldview can offer. Our world wants healing and restoration. See, the people who are protesting in the streets, most of them, can't quite put their fingers on what they want. They just want something different. The human heart longs for restoration. Some are convinced that that restoration lies on the left, some on the right. Some want to destroy a system and others want to reform a system. But everybody wants healing. They just don't know how to get it. But as Christians, we do. We do. We know. But sometimes we forget. For the past five or six weeks, um, there have been kind of a, it's been growing, but there have been dueling protests at, the, at Gilbert and Warner, which happens to be my, the, the corner that is closest to my home. And so in the weeks, I mean, I ride my bike and I've seen the protesters. I've ridden by on my bike probably a couple dozen times. Um, at first, it started out with just a few people. Then it grew and grew and grew and grew uh, until last week the street was shut down and I could hear some yelling and, and such. So I decided if there's going to be violence, I want to be there to see so that I can know what steps I need to do to just be aware because my home is a mere two-tenths of a mile away. And so this week, the police came and they put up blockades. Um, I decided to go. I wasn't going to participate. I was going to watch. So I took my place about 150, 200 yards from the corner under the shade of a Palo Verde tree because it was 108. Um, and I just wanted to take it in. And I watched for two and a half hours. And the scene was oppressive. There are people yelling and screaming back and forth, both sides, making lewd comments back and forth. There was one person, I watched this. If it wasn't so sad, it would be humorous. I heard this lady scream to the other side across Warner Road. Jesus wants you to be loving, you stupid idiot. At the top of her lungs, direct quote. And it struck me. This is the best our world can do. Yeah. The hate was thick. The hopelessness was hanging in the air. 
I happened to strike up a conversation with an African-American woman and her daughter. I saw them coming um, each week, back when it was really small. And I introduced myself to her. She introduced herself to me. I met her daughter. We just talked for a while. Um, and she came over where I was because the crowds were getting kind of scary, and I was kind of removed from, from everything. And I said, why did you come out here originally? This is after we were talking for a while. And she said, I just want things to get better. And then she looked and said, but this isn't it. She was right. She was right. Everyone that we come in contact with, and ourselves included, want things to get better. That's what we want. That's what they want. They just don't know how to get it. We do. And we must not assume that, that things getting better, that things will be permanently healed. They won't, with good laws or the right person elected. What we need is newness. Now, I'm not saying that we step back and let the world burn. But I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't work to pass good laws or... <clears throat> take an interest in politics. But our goal, our great goal, is to do good in our community and share the good news. Because our great concern is that everybody who's alive today will spend eternity either in heaven or hell. There are only two destinations. Some will be apart from God for all eternity in hell. Some will be with him. No one else has that message, and we must be the people who have already been made new, who go out into the old community and share this good news. We do good works and share this good news. You see, our goal is to tell people that Jesus has a way. We have a way to get back to Eden. There's a way to get to paradise. There's a way to get to fulfillment. There's some hope that Trump and Biden don't know anything about, there's some hope that any, no government can give. His name is Jesus. And one day he's going to make everything right. And you know what? In these days, he's working. We know this. And maybe in these days we get something of a revival and we get to taste something of heaven in earth today. But that revival is not going to come through political measures. That revival is going to come when his people pray and his people go into the community doing good and sharing the good news. Confident. Confident in what our future is. You see, when we know where we're going, we're free to live. We're free to live without fear. May we not be those who believe anything just because everybody is saying all kinds of things. But may we have confidence that our God is working, He is with us, He has a plan, that we're here for a reason, and that one day He will make all things new. Let's pray. Dear God Almighty, I, 
I have to confess, Lord, that it's so easy for me, and I assume I'm not the only one, to get caught up in all that's going on in our country. Lord, I want to get caught up with you, Lord. Um, I pray that you would help us to have a holy preoccupation with you. I pray that you would help us to be ambassadors of another world to this world, Lord. I pray that we would speak of these new things amongst people who think all they can do is live, among, live in these former things. Lord, one day this world will pass. And Lord, I pray that you would help our church and help your church, out, the, the church at large, to be preaching the good news and doing good works in the community so that people might see that there's a hope beyond. There's a hope beyond. There's a hope that is firm and, and clear and concrete. A hope that is that one day all things will be made right. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to be confident ambassadors of that message. Help us have opportunities to do good. Give us wisdom to know how to navigate these days. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be taken with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.